When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. in my heart a podcast truly about all the things in my heart and finding our freedoms i'm your host heather thompson my next guest dr sylvia kalinski wants to show her clients what truly is possible so that they can move past self-limiting beliefs and step toward the direction of healing purpose and confidence Dr. Sylvia's experience as a therapist and former lead behavioral health clinician at Mount Sinai Hospital strengthens her ability to connect with people and to empathetically listen to their narratives. Her techniques, such as 90 Seconds to Calm, help people to better manage the impact that stress, trauma, and loneliness can have in our lives. Dr. Sylvia K. simplifies the likes of brain health, psychotherapy and coaching, and adds a dash of spirituality to help people better understand themselves. Her education encompasses a broad approach to better understanding the impacts of loneliness, unhealed childhood trauma, and the mind-body connection. Her techniques help clients better manage stress and live a more fulfilling and confident life. And she's here. Dr. Sylvia Kay is in my heart. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Heather. I feel like this is such an honor and a gift to not only be in your heart, but be in the ears of others and share our stories together, because that's what really um, I'm all about now is, is not just hearing other people's stories, but sharing our stories. Isn't that the truth? And I'm so happy to have you because, I mean, now if more than ever, people are open to listen to a lot of things that have been kind of like brushed under the carpet in the past, just by way of society. But the narrative now, you know, is very different. The climate, everyone's been through a bit of trauma and we all have it anyway, but now you add the layers that have, you know, been the last few years of our life. And you've worked with all kinds of people from celebrities to your next door neighbor, you know, women, men, teens, all people who have felt feelings of anxiousness, you know, loneliness or feel stuck. And, and your podcast shares these human experiences that you're talking about, like, like mine, you really want to share the word, as I like to say, like, and, and stories and narratives of people that people can say, oh my God, I relate to that. Or I felt like that. And geez, maybe if I had taken that left next time instead of the right, you know what I mean? Like, where would it bring me? 
So talk a little bit about who you are and how we get to get you. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, by profession, right, the title um, is therapist. I have um, a PhD in family therapy. And really what that is, that's a degree that teaches someone to think systemically. So you want to broaden the context so that you understand the behavior. Because the more you broaden the context, all behavior makes sense. We tend to be very judgmental. We'll pigeonhole people. People love labeling people. People. The DSM is just one big fat book of a bunch of labels that I feel like can really, you know, it can be helpful, but also not so helpful when you limit a person. So with a PhD in family therapy, which really is systemic thinking, you learn to think in systems, how we're interconnected, um, not just the mind-body connection, but how our behaviors are also connected to perhaps to past unhealed trauma or our coping mechanisms, how we stayed safe, how we protected ourselves, whether they were adaptive or maladaptive. Um, I currently work in Miami Beach as a therapist. I have my private practice. Before that, I was working at Mount Sinai. And also, I'm writing a book about loneliness because this is a story that's been you know, something that I was so ashamed of for so long. Um, I was joking with a friend, you know, a couple months ago of all the books that I'm, you know, going to write, it's going to be on something that I don't really want to write about loneliness because it was something I was embarrassed about. And the irony is that the more that I have been talking about loneliness in the last year and been open enough to share my experiences the more connections I've made, not only with others, but with myself. I'm in therapy myself. I see my therapist every other Monday at 11, Dr. Anne. She's incredible. She specializes in internal family systems. So this is ongoing work. This work never ends for me, whether I'm providing it or receiving it, something I firmly believe in, power of therapy, but also the power of sharing our stories. Because even if you're not in therapy, you have an incredible um, opportunity to share your story with someone that you trust um, and that you know you feel safe with and who knows how you sharing your own story could help reframe somebody else's experience such as loneliness because it's something that we often keep hidden or secretive or you know we're embarrassed or shameful about so I'm all about talking about it let's name it let's unshame it let's share our stories and let's build community together. On that very note, if we do start to unravel and unwrap these things um, and keep them out in the open, I think we'll have less and less people hiding things, less and less yes. people, sorry to put you out of business, doc, but in therapy, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like if we start to normalize some of these things that we have been told are not normal, you know, f feelings of loneliness or something like that. No, you've got to always put on a happy face, right? Come on, the us clear up put on a happy face. I mean, think about how our parents were raised and, yes. you know, you put your head down and you did the work. And yeah. now we're coming into these generations of people literally spreading their wings and yeah. showing their beauty in all different sorts and, and types and, and of ways. And so we have to change with the truth of what's happening, you know, outside of people who are closed down because not everybody suffers, right? Everybody suffers to a point, but not everybody suffers until they do. Right. Absolutely. So I, loneliness was the connection that I had with you. Funny enough, people would never maybe know this about me, but it was early in life that I had loneliness that I didn't recognize affected me until I was an adult. And quite frankly, an adult, like in my fifties, in my late forties and fifties, I recognized as I was an adult because of something traumatic that happened to me, this kind of like 
you know, blast that hits. And then you're left sitting there with, you know, the wounds from the blast. And then you're like, oh, these, what about these wounds? Where did these come from? Oh, they've been there from a long time ago kind of thing. And, you know, you say one of the things that you do is you wanted to tackle it. You wanted to tackle those wounds, tackle the pain. And then that's why you went into therapy. Therapy and connecting with your feelings is not a joyful ride. It's hard work and it's painful. And digging deep is not for everybody. Nope. But there are tips and there are tricks or hacks yes. is the word we're going to use today to get us to understand ourselves Right. Yes. Therefore, accept some of the things that are coming our way and help us get through it. So yes. that to me is like, you know, the, what you bring, because you, you bring such a pragmatic approach to it. You know, adding the spirituality, I always tell my therapist, I wish you and Buddha would have a baby. And then that would be my therapist. And he, he turns that on and he said, maybe it's you. It yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. Well, you know, you brought up such a good point. You know, it, it's, it's about talking about it, but also it's about how you talk about it. Because, you know, my earlier training, I loved analysis. I went to Pacifica Graduate Institute. I ate all of that up. But I think one part of it is I got so deep into the analysis, I started overanalyzing everything and almost kind of like stayed stuck in the explanation. Well, I self-sabotage because that's who I am. And this is a complex and it's the mother complex. And I would just stay stuck in my own shit and I would recreate it. And then finally kind of broadening my education, understanding systemic thinking, but also taking radical ownership. When you talk about it, take radical ownership for your part because it's easy to blame our parents. It's easy to blame the trauma. It's easy to blame our own coping skills. But without taking that radical ownership and owning, yeah, I do do this and this is what I do, then you can just talk, talk, talk and see no change. And that's kind of you know the spin for loneliness. Let's talk about it and start owning our own loneliness because sometimes maybe these symptoms of depression, anxiety could also be the after effect of us not owning our loneliness. Yeah, a product of ourselves in a way, yes, right? That's yes. the word we I'd like to use. A product yeah, product. of ourselves, 100%. Yeah. So let's bucket this out for one second because there's obviously there's scientific based psychology on depression and people have chemical imbalances, things like that. Right. There's traumatic depression, there's menopausal depression, right? You know, event based depression. There, you know, there's buckets that you could put it in. But generally speaking, everybody in life is going to hit a wall. They're going to hit a moment Absolutely. where they have self-doubt or things aren't going their way. And the brain is this muscle. Like you say, if you keep, and I love that you were like, I could almost like, I just put myself in that bucket. Well, I'm always, I always project because my father or whatever, right? Like if you can start to own the behavior. And I think that that's one of the biggest lessons that I'm seeing especially right now in people. I mean, you can see what happened at, you know, the Oscars and, you yes. know, owning, owning this behavior, seeing everything through this lens where there's yes. always a camera pointed at someone somewhere, <laughs> even if it is a, you know, international stage and having to say, okay, is that okay with me? And you're seeing two sides of an argument still, even yes. when something so blatantly looks wrong to one, it looks okay to another. So these perspectives are coming in full force, right? Absolutely. So how do we stay true to ourselves? And that's where I think that avoidance, that self, I, I don't know what you call it. It's like um, analyzing your own truth, like really be honest with yourself. And I think we're not honest with ourselves on so many levels, on so many minutes, seconds of the day. Absolutely. Like what is really your truth? Because it can be painful and ugly. 
Yes, absolutely. And you have to look at it and say, why do I feel that way? And why am I embarrassed to be that way? And how can I move beyond the feeling that I'm having about a certain thing, right? Yes. I think truth evolves, right? It's like we upgrade, we plateau, we upgrade, we plateau, we evolve, we regress. We, you know, take two steps forward, two steps back. Um, I think also it's about filtering out all the introjection. People are interjecting their truth. So this is the way it should be. This is success. And this is how you should be. And this is how I raised you. This is not how I raised you. And society will tell you this. So I think, you know, it's evolving and it does take a certain amount of courage to step in the ring, as Brene Brown says, to get gritty, to get dirty, to find out what is my truth. That's kind of what Carl Jung was all about. The pathway of individuation is separating yourself from the collective truth and finding out what is your truth. And I think that's the gift of loneliness. People are so damn scared to be alone because they have all these misconceptions of it. And I think the gift of loneliness is that is that's the opportunity where you, in that isolation per se, right, you can start to separate all this introjection and other people's narratives and say, okay, well, what is my truth? Even although it can be painful, and I, I understand loneliness from many different levels, and me too, I experienced loneliness at a very young age, um, and sometimes we can experience it prematurely, but there is a gift in loneliness where you can dig deeper. You can discover your essence, your truth. If you're into or open to spirituality, there's, there's a difference between, I think, self-isolation and solitude. And, you know, I think it is an onion. You can keep unpeeling, you know, the onion of loneliness, but there is so much juice and Hey, onions bring so much flavor to so many damn dishes. So why not? They're incredible (laughs) superfoods. Okay. So, so many things are going through my mind. So when I was, so first of all, I agree with everything you say and whether, you know, it's loneliness or feeling like you're not good enough or, you know, all these things that we have in our life, right. We, we all have these things that we go against. I, I can say that for the pandemic, for example, when everybody kind of was put in the same position of like, nobody could go anywhere. Everybody had to be at home. I had to deal with what was in front of them. There were ways of dealing with it. For me, I'll say in the pandemic, for someone who was like literally scheduled from dawn till dusk, you know what I mean? Every single day and on planes twice a week. Wow. The, the sit the fuck down part of the pandemic really uh, had me uh, judging what, what I felt success was, where my self-worth yes. was yes. when I wasn't on the go all the time. Like I was Absolutely. like, oh, I'm doing nothing. I'm a loser. You know yes. I mean? It was like yes. forced to do nothing and still feeling terrible yes. about it. Like, yes. you know, silly, most silly. Now those, I could work through those feelings, but having to deal with some trauma that I had sweeped under the carpet that kept kind of coming back and dealing, I could not avoid. And it, and it forced me back into therapy and analysis to a point when I realized analysis, I was just on repeat and I needed to move past it. But I worked really hard for two years in therapy and guess what? It's not fixed, but I have softened. I yes. have oh, I love that term. Mm-hmm. something that was an incredible thorn in my side Yes, and, and cut, you know what I mean? And so I think that I looked back at my childhood and I noticed that because I was a latchkey kid in the seventies and one parent had to go to work before the other got home. And then after that divorce happened and I was left in the house alone all the time to fend for myself, to ride my 10 speed to wherever I needed to be, to get food, that sort of thing. It made me as such an independent girl. Like I was, I, I had it covered.
I have studied the shamans. I've, you know, I've done a lot of spiritual work. I just went to a healing session this morning with my body talk practitioner. So I'm very much into that perspective. And, you know, my idea is that we do have parts of us that are still frozen in time. From a sp spiritual perspective, there's this idea of like kind of the momentum tunnel. There's all these kind of infinite possibilities. But in our like physical form, you know, in our development, there are certain moments in our lives where something happened that was painful, whether a need wasn't met, something emotional happened, we lost something. You know, when we experience this form of invalidation, something that, again, emotional, psychological, physical that we needed and we're not able to get and it was painful, the body and the, the mind has this wonderful way of, of not processing. It's like pain body. I think Eckhart Tolle talked about it. We'll store it away in a, in a, in a particular place. My healer reminds us, uh, that, you know, the body is a mind itself. The body knows what to do. We think the mind is all up here, but, it, you know, the body is the mind. And so from a psychological perspective, I think, especially in our childhood, when these things happen, we become adaptive, right? You were super independent. You got under your 10 speed. You know who was making lasagna, who was making enchiladas. Like you, you, you knew your environment and that's been such an incredible strength for your own development. And, and I'm sure what you've been able to pass on to your children. Um, and I think, but at the same time, that softness or that part that, that knew that it was hard, will store it. But that part can get quote unquote frozen in time. So we adapt we're wonderful adaptive beings. Some of our, I guess, coping skills might be maladaptive, but you know what? The number one thing is they keep us safe. They protect us. They keep us alive. But then as we grow up per se, or we get triggered or something else happens later in our life, there's that little part of you that's still frozen that's saying, Heather, don't forget me. Sylvia, don't forget me. Remember, remember how hard and scary it was when your dad left and you didn't know if he was going to come back. Remember when you were three and, you know, your dad took you back to Texas and you never got to say goodbye to your mom. You know how scary that is. Don't forget me because I don't want you to have to go through that again. And with the type of therapy that I receive internal family systems, I'm going back to those parts and I'm talking to those parts and I'm getting information from those parts. And I'm also led, I'm informing that part. Hey, we're not still in 1983. Right. We're in 2022. Come back. I'm going to bring you back to the life that I've created. I'm, I'm, I'm bringing you back to the, the sense of security that I've created for myself. But you know what? I know that you have certain needs that I can help attend to. I know your mom was sick and your dad wasn't available to see those things, but I see you. So it's almost like this, you know, you're, you're working right. with qu quantum timeline going in the reinforcing past. Reinforcing beliefs in oneself at the yes. same time. You're re you know, my, my therapist always says, Heather, trust yourself, trust mm -hmm. yourself, trust yourself. And it's my favorite thing that he says to me because I never didn't, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? When did this shift happen that I, I all of a sudden stopped trusting myself? Right. You know right. what I mean? And it's because trauma happens or something happens where trust becomes this kind of crickety bridge. You're like, mm, right. I'm not sure I want to trust people, you know, whatever it is. Fabric makes getting great term life insurance quick, easy, and surprisingly affordable. So, hey, parents out there, it's time to finally cross off one of the most important things on your to-do list, life insurance. Life is already complicated, and that's why Fabric makes getting term life insurance to protect your family easy. Fabric was built by parents for parents to help make it easier to manage all your family's finances. And Fabric is all online, so everything's on your schedule. 
Fabric's online hub lets you handle all your family's finances in one place, not just life insurance. Create a will, start your kid's college savings plan, and even set up a rainy day savings fund. Check all those important boxes with Fabric. You'll get significant savings over other providers with great quality policies for less than a dollar a day. Protect your family's financial future with Fabric. Apply today in just 10 minutes at meetfabric.com slash in my heart. That's M-E-E-T fabric.com slash in my heart. Protect your family's financial future today at meetfabric.com slash in my heart. Fabric insurance agency policies are issued by Vanis Life. Not available in New York and Montana. Prices are subject to underwriting and health questions. Now back to my show. You have techniques that you've developed, you know, yes. body, B-O-D-Y, your body technique, your 90 seconds to calm. Right. And, and these are techniques to help people manage stress because on the early onset of stress, I mean, we've kind of gone from, you know, A to Z, we're at Z right now, and that's your in therapy, you know, but to get to Z in a way, that's the beginning of the new A, you have to A, understand that there's an issue that you need help with or yes. that you need to talk about. Yes. Where you need coping skills or mechanisms and Google it up. There's a lot out there, you know, but talk a little bit about the everyday things that people come across that tend to be either barriers or markers for future trauma. Do you know what I'm yes. trying to say? Like, yes. you don't get through it now. So, you know, I'm asking you a, a t- double-edged question. It's, you got a Absolutely. double barrel gun here at me, but talk about some of these uh, skills and coping techniques to see it as it's coming, understand it as it's coming and know yes. to look out for it when it's coming again. I'll identify the problem and then I'll teach the coping skill. I think two big problems that I do myself, let's say, let's say behaviors or patterns, conditions. I get into overthinking and I disassociate when I'm stressed out or something triggers me. I'll either overthink it or I'll disassociate. And I see that in many of my clients. And so what happens is that the amygdala gets triggered, a part of your brain that, that, you know, is, is wired to be um, alert. And when it perceives anything that is sensed as a threat to your survival brain, you know, logical part shuts down. We get into that flight, flight, freeze, or fawn mode. We all know about fight or flight, but the freeze part, a lot of people underestimate and the fawn, the fawning is a people pleasing. And so what happens is that, you know, when we're in those states, we're not being true to ourselves. We're staying in, well, we're being true to our survival, but we're cut off from that other part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex that can think abstractly, that can think, you know, bigger pictures. So we can't stop that. But you know, what we can do is once it's happened, we can interrupt that and what I call a brain hack, help the brain the prefrontal cortex part come back online and help your nervous system reorient itself so that you're not stuck in that survival mode and you're helping the brain and part of you, probably that frozen part that still thinks, Oh my God, this thing is happening again. When I was three years old, I've stored it. You take a deep breath, the body skill, right? You take a deep inhale through your nose. We can do it together. Big exhale out. And then the observe is you want to observe three colors and whatever place you're at, notice three colors in front of you. I see in my background, it's a purplish teal color an orange and like a cream. When I'm doing that, my prefrontal cortex comes online because it's a task. And then as I observe three objects, coffee cup, glasses, journal, and then three sounds, this is where it really brings you back to the moment you're helping your brain 
I hear someone that just made like a knocking sound in the office next door, cars passing, and some kind of um, sound in the AC. So when you bring your senses to the three colors, three objects, three sounds, the amygdala gets the information. Oh, okay, I'm here now. That threat that I connected this experience to that was stored from my three-year-old self. Oh, now I know I have new information. Nervous system says, okay, we can decompress. And as you describe those elements, you're working the prefrontal cortex and again, helping the limbic system and your emotional you know, brain regulate and then the why part is yielding you're yielding to that conditioned you know survival response but you're also yielding to that part of you that's still frozen in time that that's ready to go back and you're yielding to staying stuck there and bringing her back to now and bringing your body and your brain back to this moment such a beautiful, such a beautiful practice. And, and so simple when you think about it, I want to break down what happened to me during yeah. that. First of all, even just talking about the stresses of it, I was stressed out and I have learned a technique and my, my best friend, Memi, and she's a trainer. She does it all I the time. Her. When she hears someone going through stuff, she goes, <sighs> she does it like automatically because of training. She's so used to having people let go of their stress and their muscles, right? Like yes. stop the tension, breathe. And it works for everything, right? Yes. So number one, when you're thinking of the three colors, you're distracting your brain, right? Thinking, and then you're also bringing yourself into the moment, like literally yes. living in the moment. Yes. So we live, you know, this is far out there for some people, but other people totally groove on it. You know, uh, what I'm laying down is that every different reality is a, a different reality, whether you're yep. waking reality, sleeping reality, whether your brain is drifting off into somewhere else, you're bringing yes. yourself back to, I love what you said, your brain drifts off to, okay, I'm going in two places, but if you're going to get in a car accident almost and you go, <gasps> and you get scared and your reaction, that fight or flight reaction, your body's survival mode to save itself is the same exact feeling you get when you get a stressor that reminds you of three-year-old trauma. <gasps> your body does exactly, exactly the same yep. thing. So yes. what you're doing is you're calming yourself, bringing yourself into the reality of today's present Yes. literally living in the moment. You painted it so beautifully that it just came together like a beautiful painting for me. That was amazing. Oh, thank you. Really? So let's talk about that then. Let's break that down a little bit because think about the simplicity of it. And that's what you do because it's all about the science. It is metaphysical, right? We are, you know, bio-individual. Yeah. We're cells and molecules and muscles and shit. But then yes. there's all that spirituality, the emotion that guides us. And you said- your body is your brain, right? And I, yes. it's all my nutrition, when I'm speaking about nutrition, that your stomach controls your mood, your stomach, your gut controls your health, overall health and well being. Yes. Your immune system, your happiness, your how you control emotions lives in your gut. Yes. And so, your gut creates serotonin. Yes. yes. So your gut literally is like a brain. Yeah. So, you know, in, in Japanese wisdom and culture, they believe that your gut is your first brain. Right? We talk about our gut instincts. You, you know, you look at the neurobiology, your, your, your gut is creating serotonin. Certain foods you eat when broken down will increase that serotonin. Certain foods you eat will reduce that serotonin. So yes, gut, your gut health is so important. And, you know, I have a client who I get emotional saying it right now, but she stressed herself beyond the max that she created leaky gut because her stress 
was so intense and she was refusing to manage it in the ways that she could. And she just kept adding on more and more stress to the point that she had, I think it's called, um, uh, there's a term for it. Um, I'll have to remember it later, but it's, it's just that, that leaky gut, but it, it creates this inflammation and also what it can create is symptoms of depression and suicide ideation. And so I think we really underestimate how powerful the gut is, but with the body skill, I think the emphasis on the breathing is so important because most of us don't realize, including myself, how much freaking time throughout the day we hold our breaths because you know why 80% of our thoughts are negative. It's called negativity bias. So our brain is wired to think that way because if you look at the longevity of human humanity, we are trained and wired to think of the worst case scenario so that we're ready to prepare and survive and protect ourselves. But with the 80% dominance, you know, we tend to stay in this negative narrative and we hold our breath. We're thinking these thoughts in our head and we're not breathing. And then the nervous system's like, I'm going to increase anxiety and maybe insert panic attack because, excuse my language, motherfucker, you got to (laughs) breathe. Exhale. Exhale. For so, yeah, yes, well, breathe, then, breathe, breathe. Couple that with, and they're going to, this is a nutrition part of me, but couple that with like, you know, obesity and, you know, health issues and people who are bre- not breathing, you know, have no circulation, no circulatory oxygen happening. And yes. then they're mouth breathers. So yeah. we're meant to me breathe out of our nose and our mouth. And it's like the difference between, you know, uh, carbon, carbon dioxide and oxygen, right. Or carbon. What is it? What do we breathe? Oxygen and right. Oh my gosh. No. <laughs> Somebody who knows Chadwin. <laughs> I have a PhD, not an MD. I- well, anyway, like the different form of, of the way you breathe through your mouth, yeah. you know, the gases that are formed versus the way you breathe through your nose and how it affects yeah. your brain and all this shit. Yeah. And I read this book and I'll put it up after the podcast with us. It's called Breath or Breathe. I can't remember what it is. And it goes back to all the science, medical science yes. of how our breath is one of the most important tools that we have. Absolutely. Right. So so back to you and we'll get out of the MD world and we'll okay. get right back to you. And yeah. Like, Breathing has a way to bring you back to center, bring you back to the reality you're in right now that you have full control over, right? Yes. At that moment. Yes. And I think this is a wonderful place to insert this idea of learned helplessness. A lot of people who've experienced trauma develop learned helplessness, which is this idea that, you know what, this is what I was born into. This is the way life is always going to be. This is the way my life always was. And they forget that they have the freedom of choice. They forget that they have the ability to do something different. And you can say, well, I can't afford therapy and I can't do this. this is way. Well, you know what you can't afford to do? Control your breathing, practice breathing. It is, you know, your own, I would say VIP membership. Nobody has your breath, only you. And so when you learn to breathe in different ways and regulate your emotions and bring yourself back to the present moment and practice present centered awareness, you don't have to stay and learn helplessness. You can do something different to remind yourself, Hey, I can choose something different. I don't have to keep living my life this way. I don't have to stay in this constant state of stress. I want to talk a little bit about lonely as fuck. Yes. <laughs> lonely AF. I love it when you say it out loud. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a sailor. I, I like to swear, but Hey, it's perfectly good English. I say, but, uh, it does get in the way sometimes swearing, but that's okay. That's another podcast. They so, say people with high IQs cuss more. I know. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm giving myself that excuse. Cause now I taught my 
children how to swear perfectly. They've used their right to nations. Everything is perfect. <laughs> so um, I know you just started your Lonely AF challenge, which I want to talk yes. about on Instagram. I know it just Thank started you. my month. April is my month. That's my birthday month. Okay, Ooh. yes, I saw it on your Instagram. I, I felt lonely every Mother's Day as a kid because my mother passed away when I was two years old. Okay, so this is your challenge. This is going to be how people deal with their loneliness. And I'm going to go, I'm going to go forward and then backwards because okay. I want to finish up this lesson. That was huge. I feel like that we came to together today. And that is, is that no matter what it is, no matter what your trauma and yours was loneliness, and we're going to get back to yes. it, but the tools that you have learned to cope with something that was a trauma in your childhood, that was rearing its head again and again in your adult life that you had to tackle. And so that you could kind of deal with living yes. with it, right? You can never overcome it. You just deal with living. I mean, I don't know if you believe in overcoming or not. We could go back to that. Or you just deal with understanding yourself better and what makes you tick. That very lesson you can apply to every goddamn thing in life. Yes. The lady at the ticket counter, the person yes. in line in front of you, the guy who cuts you off on the highway, just breathe. Take yes. a second to not react and just breathe. If the world would just learn that, it's the best technique that we have for self-soothing, self-healing, bringing self to present, getting self-control, right? So am I wrong to say that we just put a little bit of a cap on that? Yes. Yes. Just breathe. <laughs> just breathe. Just breathe. But we forget. So we have to remind each other and we have to remind ourselves and have grace with ourselves when we do forget because we will forget. Yeah, so it's all about house with our children. Yes. So the actual meaning of mindfulness in the ancient language um, is in sattvi. It means sattvi. So sattvi means to remember. So we think mindfulness is oh the present moment. Well, the, the, Real word, you know, and its ancient meaning means to remember, to remember what? Not the past, not the present, but to remember this moment, to remember our breath, to remember our gifts, to remember our choice. Yeah, amazing. Okay, so you were child of immigrant parents. Yes. Um, we just tapped on the fact real quick <laughs> yep. that your mama died when you were like yeah. two and a half years old. Yes. And your daddy had to work and you were left on your own. Talk about this. Yeah. You had to go yeah. to Kazakhstan. Your yep. mother died. How did your mama die? Tell us what happened. Yes. So I think a big reason why I became a therapist is because my mother was misdiagnosed as having schizophrenia when the poor woman just had a brain aneurysm and the way that it was increasing, it was pressing on certain parts of her brain that was causing hallucinations and migraines and then, you know, mood disorder, depression. And so now it's a big part of the protocol. When you see a therapist, a psychiatrist, you want to rule out, is there any history of, of um, aneurysms, uh, brain cancer, et cetera. So she was misdiagnosed and they were giving her electric shock therapy. It was like the movie one who flew over the cuckoo's nest. Like my dad didn't know what to do. They were saying, this is what she needs. She was progressively getting worse. And then my grandmother decided this is asinine. I'm taking my daughter back to Poland. And that's kind of, I would say, the start of my trauma and loneliness is that when my grandmother took my mother back to Poland, I never got to say goodbye and I never saw her again. And it was never explained what happened. So grief was kind of this thing of like, we don't talk about that. So guess what? You don't need to grieve. And uh, here's your new mommy. Here's your stepmom. 
my dad's had four wives, so I, uh, four stepmoms, but four stepmother applicants. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Stuck. Yeah. Uh, well, actually he stayed with the last one. So okay, okay. God, God bless her for, for dealing with him. But, um, I think the immigrant experience comes with loneliness because at the time they were undocumented. So you're kind of like under the radar, you don't have access yeah. to the same level of support, but in that I learned independence, you know, that education in school. I mean, I was born in the U S so I was lucky, you know, to not have that issue that, that he had, but working, you know, father, different stepmoms in and out, there was a sense of, of loneliness not because I was all alone, because I felt like I didn't belong. I didn't have a mom. I was the awkward friend that no one came over to our house because, oh, she doesn't have a mom. And, oh, single dad, that's not safe. This awkwardness of not knowing how to be girly. I was a tomboy. I loved playing. I was, I grew up in Houston, Texas. I loved, you know, playing in the bayou. I was, you know, I had a big brother. Thank God he was my savior. You know, he looked after me, almost a latchkey kid. You know, we were both kind of latchkey kids. He was the free babysitter. But then there was this point where my dad started doing better and he had a job opportunity to move to Kazakhstan. My brother wanted to go to college. I lived with some family friends. They went through a divorce. And then finally I just ended up living alone my junior and senior year of high school. And this is before, you know, uh, FaceTime and WhatsApp. And that was, I think, my premature experience of real loneliness where I was isolated, all alone, nobody in the house. And so many people right now are experiencing that, that feeling of really being all alone in your house. And it's terrifying because our brain is wired to connect. The limbic system is all about human connection. So if we don't have those micro social interactions, like going to get a coffee, saying hello to the garbage truck guy, I don't know, walking, you're talking, you don't have to say hello, just like looking at another human being. Our brain gets a little orgasm off of that. It's like, oh, I'm not alone. Oh, yeah, I feel good. But when you self-isolate and you really are all alone in your physical space, you start to have anxiety, symptoms of depression. You feel overwhelmed. You can feel insecure. And if you don't interrupt that, that can lead to suicide ideation. That can lead to feelings of despair. Thank goodness I was, you know, really into school. So I had ways to manage that loneliness but I pushed it way down and just went to college. And then I became an overdoer. I'm going to stay busy as fuck. So I don't have to feel that sense of loneliness. Mm -hmm. And I think the sense of loneliness really hit. It wasn't during COVID. I think my loneliness slapped me in the face and my early trauma in my first year of motherhood. I didn't know it when I had it, but I'm still embarrassed to admit it, Heather. I had postpartum rage, not postpartum depression, postpartum rage, which is something that a lot of people don't talk about it because you don't really know that much about it. All that old stuff of me being angry that I had to be all alone, that I was left, that I pushed down, that I just got into overachiever mode because I don't want to feel that vulnerable ever again, came up when I was all alone with my baby who had colic and he was crying six hours a day. Oh my God. And I wasn't mad at the baby. I was mad at my husband for leaving and nobody helping. I was mad that I didn't have a, a mom tribe. I was mad that I didn't have anybody checking in on me. I, I was mad that my doula was a charlatan and she really wasn't a trained doula. I felt right. so damn neglected again. I was like, Desperate. oh, shit, yeah. this, this yeah. is the real stuff coming up. Yeah. Um, so, you know, with those experiences, fast forward, you know, you know, where I am now, the things that I felt and still find embarrassing, but I'm open enough to share it. That is what's creating connection with others. When I talk about my postpartum rage, when I talk, you know, things that I didn't want to talk about, but my family's like, Sylvia, excuse my language. People don't give a fuck about your credentials. They want to hear your story. And I'm like, what? Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. 
and I'm doing it. And I'm, I'm trying to encourage other people to share their stories of loneliness because, you know, last part of the story is when I had a play date with um, another mom the other day, you know, you tend to think you're the only one that's gone through that thing that you've been through until somebody else has the courage to share their part. And this woman who I thought was like the perfect mom that I always feel super insecure about with any yeah. of like the kindergarten things, cause she knows everything ahead of time. She's, you know, <laughs> just, just really, I think she's the perfect mom. She ends up telling me that she came to the United States with her single dad and she never had a relationship with her mom because in a way her dad um, kind of took her away from her mom and they never had a relationship. What? So you never met your mom or really got to know your mom. You've never talked to her since. No. And I'm like, how are you telling me this story? And first of all, thank you because you're the first mom that ever, that I've ever met that knows what it's like to grow up without a mom, but knows the experience of growing up with a single immigrant dad. And I felt this level of connection and then taking her off that pedestal of being the perfect mom create a sense of connection where I'm like, Oh my gosh, I have goosebumps. Thank you. Thank you. This is what this work is about. Right. A hundred percent because God, she can never judge a book by its cover. Right. You know, I mean, it's like, that's for damn sure. And also I, I think one of the things that you mentioned that I think is so important is, is that when we play the victims in our own minds, we oh, give yeah. power to the argument that you are, that you're being victimized or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and, and that's something that I've really worked on, you know, with the brain being a muscle and, and, you know, your, yes. your approach is so warm and inviting and it's transparent and, you know, mm -hmm. it's turning complex human issues into this conversation. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. I went off script. I didn't even look at this because it was like I, my emotions got involved as to what I'm sitting in, what I've been experiencing, how it's making me feel, how I'm trying to organize it in the global human existence of shit happens yeah. to everybody. Yes. You yes. know what I mean? Yeah. And so the pandemic, you know, I, I know it exacerbated how people were already feeling some people, and then it brought some people into their new emotions. And I know that there's lots of help out there for for people and we're so open to it now. And I'm sure that they could, at the end, you're going to tell them where they can find you and stuff. But I do think that people have overcome a lot in this yes. pandemic. There's yes. so much amazing positive growth for people who like me can say, wow, I came out of that difficult time and I've softened or I understand yes. myself better or situation better. So how do we keep going with that doc? <laughs> well, I think, think about your brain, not only as muscle, but think about your brain as Play-Doh. Neuroplasticity, our brain is moldable. So the more you breathe, the more you meditate, the more you do yoga, your brain is going to increase gray matter, but also your brain is going to form new neurons. I mean, not new neurons, but you're going to form new um, loops, new neurofeedback loops. Yes, and so right. think about your brain. Okay, so it was like this certain Play-Doh shape as a kid. If you were born into trauma or maybe you had the perfect family, it was shaped in a certain way. But now that you're older, it's still moldable. You can learn new things. You can respond to things in different ways, but it takes practice. So breathing, it only works if you practice it. Therapy only works if you practice it. Yes. Taking radical ownership only works if you practice it. So if there's anything that you could take away from this interview, it's like practice your breathing and take ownership of your part in it, that you can control your breathing, own your story and free yourself from that sense of shame that you think, Oh, this, this thing happened. When you own it, you free yourself from that sense of shame that, you know, that is maybe just interjection from others. 
yes. Hallelujah, honey. I mean, well, sharing clearly, I mean, if you haven't just heard it here, I don't know where you'll hear it, is a really big way to alleviate the symptoms of, of what we feel when we feel depressed or detached or, you know, victimized or lonely. And so I wanted to, I really do want to touch on the Lonely AF Challenge sure. that you have going on on Instagram yes. and tell people how they can be a part of it and what your goal is. Obviously it's community, but, um, cause I know you're getting, you're finishing the ink's drying on this masterpiece. I know it's coming out soon, the book. Thanks, so Heather. tell us about the challenge and then lead us up into to the book, please. Absolutely. So the challenge started on Monday. It's all about hashtag lonely AF challenge, but really what it's all about, as you mentioned earlier, it's about connection. So a big part of loneliness is that we kind of stay stuck in the secret of it that, you know, we want to hide it. We're embarrassed about it. It's about naming it. So collectively we can unshame it and we can free ourselves from that sense of burden that comes with hiding it. And if we can create the Lonely AF Challenge and become a part of a movement, I think we can help destigmatize loneliness. We can help understand that it's a universal human experience, that we all will go through it at least one time in our life, no matter what socioeconomic you know, group you're from or race or gender. Like It is a universal human experience. Name it so we can unshame it. And then... With the pictures, like if you can put your picture up and put hashtag lonely AF and show someone else that you have the courage to admit, yeah, I've been lonely, but also share a blurb. When you share your story, someone else is like, wait, me, you too? I thought I was the only one. So you create that sense of connection, unburden yourself, but also help other people unburden themselves, then create connection within practice that breathing, connect to your own nervous system, connect to those parts of yourself that might've gotten frozen in time. When you can unshame yourself from the loneliness, unburden yourself from the loneliness, connect within, and then we create this community, this movement together, I think is not only healing, but it's creating this sense of, of freedom and choice to rewrite our narrative, yeah. provide an alternative narrative. Loneliness doesn't have to be all about being so sad and just, oh, I'm such a loser. No, loneliness, this is about me growing. This is about discovery. me overcoming. Discovery, yes. I think that was the beauty of 2020 and 2021 and 2022. Yes. With the hardness came softness. With yes. the challenges also came discovery. And that's just the way life works. We just got a real big fucking dose of it. You know what yes. I mean? Of like a lot of challenges in reality. But at the end of the day, you, you said it. It's because what is personal is most often universal. Those are your yes. words. Because yes. what is personal is most often universal. And so I love that. I love that much. And now I, I do want to talk because... I want to make sure people can find you because yes. you have also 90 seconds to calm, which we talked about. So where can they find you if they don't already follow you for some of these tips and so that when the book comes out, they can, they can find you because when you share your story, you know, you have a dialogue with pain, but you also have community and people can yes. reach out and you really help people share their stories. So I want yes. people to really engage in that community. Thank you. Well, I have a freebie for every listener. I have a PDF that they can download that is on the body skills. So if that feels like something that works for you, you can go to my website, Dr. Sylvia K. So it's D-R-S-Y-L-V-I-A, the letter K.com. I'll be giving a Lelabo candle away for one of the people or whoever, you know, when you participate in the hashtag lonely AF challenge, I'm going to pick one person that had the courage to post their picture, give that Lillabo candle away um, 
to honor, you know, this light that we all share together, but also to light this torch that, you know, loneliness doesn't have to be so dark and you don't have to be left alone in the dark. So you can go to my website, download the free PDF on the body skill, but be a part of this community. I'm going to have group classes together. I'm going to be doing more live IG. So you can go to my Instagram account, Dr. Sylvia K. Um, if you like listening to my voice and, and, and this kind of intimacy, I get really raw and personal and share all my dirty laundry, but also my stories of growth. And I invite other people to share their stories of growth on my podcast, the Dr. Sylvia K show. So Instagram, Dr. Sylvia K, my website, drsylviak.com. And then my podcast, the Dr. Sylvia K show on Spotify and Apple podcasts. Incredible. I love it so much. I appreciate you so much. I want, before I let you go, I do want to go back because I want to ask you two questions. The first one is, do you believe we really ever overcome or do we just uh, tolerate those uh, childhood traumas and those like little cuts that we have to sew up and they reopen? Do you think we overcome them or what is your take on that? I believe that you can write a new narrative. And once you write a new story, you respond to those cuts in a different way. You look at them different. It's like when you start to change the way you look at things, the things that you look at begin to change. And here's, I think, the the nugget. When you start owning your story, not keeping just the clean, shiny parts, when you own the dirty, the raw, the embarrassing, the shameful, own the darkness and the lightness, and you say, yeah, this is my story then your relationship to that story changes. Then I think you enter that sense of overcoming. It's like Phoenix rising from the ashes, but I think your relationship to it changes and you unburden yourself from that sense of shame that you might yes. have been carrying. And so when you move from a sense of pain and shame from some of those things, for example, those yeah. two feelings you might feel into a place of pride Right. Ownership. Yeah. Ownership. Yeah. This is me. This is yeah. all of me. Yeah. Because I if I like that about me, so I changed it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Instead and, of pretending it doesn't exist. And once you own it, then you are less triggered by other people's judgment. When you own it, you also liberate yourself from that, those maladaptive behaviors. And then you give permission to others to own their story and realize, yeah, all of me is important, not just the shiny objects. Yeah, watch your reactions to people because if you when you sit on that later the next week and continue to sit on it, you may realize that that reaction may have some truth to it, right? Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, so outside of being my new guru, um, love, love, love this time with you. It was really just so you, personal Heather. and easy. Yeah. Um, how do you find your freedoms outside of helping people? sharing with people how you found your freedoms. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Honestly, nature. I, if I get out on the beach, like I want, I want to be out there early in the morning. I want to feel that stillness of the air. I love to see the ocean flat, like a lake. Um, I love listening to other people's podcasts. Like I have that active brain. I, I want to learn. I want to keep hearing other people's stories, but really I think that freedom is outside on the beach, wind through my hair, either jogging, walking, listening to other people's podcasts or turning it all off and just sitting the other freedom is getting on that bed with my healer doing body talk. And I remember the essence of who I am because I get sometimes lost and caught up in my own stuff and who I need to be and what I need to do. And just going back to my breath, back to my body. And that to me is my ultimate freedom, remembering the essence of who I am and that softness 
outside of all this material stuff of what we should or shouldn't do. It's like, oh, yes, thank you. Now I remember body, breath, yes, essence, spirit, soul. This, this, this is infinite. And isn't that beautiful? Really just beautiful. Well, you are infinite, honey. Love lasts forever. And you got a whole lot to share and give. I appreciate you so much. That was great. Thank you so much. I look forward to having you back again and meeting you soon. Yes, I'm going to come to New York. Thank you, Dr. Sylvia. You better. Thank you, Heather. I look forward to it. This is In My Heart. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. Be sure to follow along at I am Heather T and send me anything you want to know because we'll actually send her anything you want to know because she's the one with all the answers. (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Sylvia K. We'll see you next week with a new episode. Thanks, Heather. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.